You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. I think maybe two things. I think you need to do your best at controlling what you can control. So obviously, like, you can't control the fish. You can't control if they're going to eat. But there's a lot of things in fishing and even prior to getting to fishing, um, getting to the lake, that you can control. So you can control, you know, heading in directions that have maybe better or more stable weather patterns. Um, say you know you're going to go to a lake that's that's quite popular and there's going to be a lot of angling pressure. You know, myself, um, I know a lot of guys like to show up around 9 o'clock. Like, if you get to the lake at 9 o'clock, you're on the water by 9.30, hatches are around 10 that's great but if i know i'm going somewhere that's going to be busy i don't have a problem showing up at seven o'clock so that i can get launch so that i can get out to where i know i want to fish and not have to worry about the crowd and let the crowd come after me um so i think like if you if you do your best to kind of control as many aspects um while fishing and prior to fishing as you can i think it it puts you in the most um it gives you the best chance to be successful i guess you could say um and then another thing that I think my biggest takeaway from being on the water is you have to do your best to be very cognizant of what's going on around you. This week on the podcast, we are stoked to have Kyle Meek join us out of Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. He's an avid fly tire, avid still water guy, uh, really dialed in on the interior of BC. We'll chat with him in just a moment. Want to uh, acknowledge the top 10 cities this week on the podcast for downloads. Number one this week was Shadron, Nebraska. New York, New York, number two. Penticton, British Columbia, number three. Salt Lake City, Utah was next. Sunderland, Massachusetts, followed by Atlanta, Georgia. Dublin, Ireland. Mill Valley, California. Port Moody, British Columbia. And Bothell, Washington. Thanks, folks, for dialing in. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. We are going to take you to the interior of British Columbia, just a hop, skip, and a jump from where I'm at. We have Kyle Meek on the line from Kelowna, BC, avid fly tire, avid stillwater guy, puts a lot of hours in chasing big fish in the interior of British Columbia. Kyle, thanks, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Mark. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm pretty excited. Well, whenever I get a chance to talk, somebody fishing particularly still waters and particularly in my backyard i kind of i get excited because i'm sure you and i are fishing a lot of the same waters and uh maybe we can share some stories and, and see what you've been up to but i always like to start to show off kyle to take it back to kind of where it all started for you and and tell me how you came to discover fly fishing uh well i was i was born in terrace uh i lived in terrace till i was seven years old so as as young kids we did a lot of fishing on the skeena and it's different tributaries we'd fish some some wild rainbow lakes up there as well and then we moved here in 99 and basically all through grade school 
Um, we lived here with a single mom, so we didn't do a lot of fishing. You know, she put us in all our sports. We played baseball. We played basketball. We did all that. So there wasn't a ton of time for fishing. So that was something that just kind of fell, fell out of my life for a long time. And then um, as I got older, uh, you know, I wasn't wasn't doing those kinds of things as much anymore. Still played some baseball. And uh, maybe five years ago, my wife bought me a boat. And uh, that's just what started the madness. I mean, I, <laughs> I went out uh, at the time. We weren't fly fishing. We were just we were just gear guys. Uh, me and a couple of buddies from town, we'd go out. And just fish lakes kind of close to Kelowna. And I think it was in 2015, maybe the end of 2015, we figured that we should do a little bit of research and try to find some bigger fish because we had heard that there's some big fish around. And we ended up on a lake up on the connector. I think it was like the last week of October. And again, you know, we got our gear rods out there. We're trolling uh, apexes on the surface late October. And within like five, six minutes, like we're into fish and we're into big fish. Like we're into fish between like the three and six, seven pound mark. Mm -hmm. Something that, something like we had no idea was going to happen. And, uh, the day just progressed like that all day. We were just, we were just smacking these big fish on apexes, trolling them on the surface. And I kind of wondered why it was as successful as it was. So when I went home, I did some research on the lake and, and found out that the lake actually, again, stocked with blackwaters that are eating shiners, which are invasive fish that the shiners love to crush. And the, and the blackwaters are put in there to eat the shiners. Mm -hmm. And so trolling these little apexes, these two-inch apexes on the surface, obviously did a good job of imitating these shiners. And from then on, all I could think about is, is what are the fish eating the rest of the time? And then fishing other lakes the next spring, even still with our gear... I'm seeing everybody with their anchors, everybody's anchored up, fishing with indicators. And I was like, well, obviously that's the ticket. So we went to Trout Waters, got hooked up with a fly rod, reel, the whole shebang. And from that spring on, it's been nonstop. Every weekend, every single from, from April 1st to November 25th when the ice goes back on. Yeah. Well, that's so starts the journey, right? I mean, I, I totally get it. And I'm sure... 2015, not really that long ago, but I judging by the pictures that you've been posting the last few years, you're you're putting in some hours. Oh yeah, I'm putting in a, about as much time as anyone could while still maintaining a full time job. <laughs> well, that's the trick, right? You got you still got to make you still got to make the money. That's right. Like any more, and I'd have to quit my job. So we're gonna keep it how it is. But yeah, like even so, I would say three years ago was the first year that I was really like, okay, we're doing this. And like I fished 60 lakes in one year and, and charted them all, you know, kept a diary. And then the last couple of years I've kind of weaned it down. Obviously you can't fish 60 lakes every year and just kind of weaned it down to a handful. I would say more than a dozen, probably between 20 and 25 ish lakes a year now where, where we're getting out, we're targeting big fish. Uh, you know, we're following the ice offs, we're following, we're moving up in elevation as the, spring summer progresses trying to follow the hatches and yeah it's been super successful how much of what you do is chronomid fishing uh in in the spring i would say probably 90 percent mm -hmm. would be a good number yeah and then, so what other types of fishing are you doing in the interior like are you uh 
mostly indicator fishing or are you trying to represent dams, damsels, dragons? What, take us through your typical season on still water. Okay, yeah. So right at ice off, typically I, I won't start with a chronomid at ice off unless I see them. Because, you know, on most lakes, as you know, you don't see chronomids rated ice off. Some you do. I fished a couple lakes uh, mid-end of April this year that first day ice off we had chronomids. And, that, and that's great, but I won't start off with them unless I see them. So usually I'll start off with either uh, small micro leeches in green, black, uh, ginger, which can kind of imitate a, an immature damsel or a, or a lighter colored leech. Um, and another thing that I've fishing lots at ice off is, is blob patterns, hanging blobs under indicators. And you find the, the weight of a swivel is enough to take that down. I have an issue with blobs kind of floating up on me. Yeah. So actually all patterns that I fish, which, which some people might think is crazy, but I fish with a split shot on every single fly that I fish, unless I've got a tungsten bead on a, on a good size leech, it's going to have a split shot. All my chronomids, damsels, small leeches, blobs, everything's got a tiny split shot on it. Yeah. Whereabouts do you put that? Uh, anywhere from like 13, 12, 13 inches to 18 inches away from the fly. Right. And how do you stop that from sliding up and down? Is there a trick to that? Uh, I wish I could say there was, but if there is, I'd like to know it. Um, yeah. Obviously, I try to secure it on there as good as I can. And for the most part, it stays on there. But I mean, yeah, the odd time you got to check and it slid down and it's a pain in the butt. But it, it helps you get down and it helps you stay down, I find. Like, you know, your bobber flips up and you know you're hanging straight up and down. You know you're in the zone where the fish are feeding. And I know a lot of guys don't use them. I know a lot of guys that do as well, but it's something that I've always done and until given a reason otherwise i'll continue to do it yeah i you know i used to do that too what i used to do is put a small wind knot so that it couldn't slip past that spot and i know it kind of compromises your leader a bit but i i used to get frustrated yeah. with those things sliding or falling off totally totally yeah something I, i've been doing lately and uh I, I get a little grief for this from buddies but i, I take a a decent sized swivel and i've got a tungsten bead ahead of the swivel that actually will slide up and down my line I've so seen think, that. I've seen it, that a few times. It, it works. It works. But sometimes it doesn't work. Like if the water's too clear and the trout are fuss, fussy, right, uh, may not be the way to go. But I find it interesting talking about people's different setups. And you know what? We're going to jump more into that. But before we do, I want to ask some random questions, get to know you a little bit, uh, what you're about. And uh, you ready for this? I'm ready. All right, man. What kind of music are you listening to driving in the truck on the way to the lake? What do you got on the stereo? <laughs> That's actually a good question. And it's kind of, it's a really bizarre answer, but, um, for the most part on the way to the lake, I listen to rap music, which is like not very outdoors, but I'm just like lasered in, I'm dialed in. I listen to rap music on the way there and on the way home after a successful day, this is going to blow your mind, but I listen to country music on the way home. Wow, you're really mixing it up. <laughs> I really mix it up, man, but I'm feeling good after the end of the day. I throw on like some Eric Church. Yeah, well, I get, get that. I've here we go. You're fired up on the way to the lake, and then it's kind of a little more chill on the way back. That's exactly it, man. Like on the way to the lake, the you know anticipation's high. Mm -hmm. We get the rap music going as country on the way home. It's super bizarre. It's not for a lot of people. They're usually one or the other, but no, I, I don't like mind it. both. Good stuff. 
one go-to fly pattern, Kyle, that you can't live without? If you had to pick one pattern in your box and fish it pretty much day in, day out, what would it be? Oh, boy. I would love to fish a chronomet all the time, but I just think there's too many, too much time in the year where you're not going to see bugs. So I would probably go with uh, like tied on maybe a size 10 or 12 scud hook, uh, a very small olive green micro leech. I saw that pattern on your Instagram. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just tied a bunch for the weekend. Yeah. So that's exactly what I posted there. We fish those a lot in kind of a ginger tan color too. Those are pretty deadly. Exactly. That and and I tied both last night. I tied uh, half a dozen of each, um, and I just think they're so deadly because they they can imitate a obviously a small leech mm-hmm. in the ginger color. They Im- imitate a damsel. Uh, they can imitate scuds of different colors, and I just think at that size, you know, the, it's just too easy for the fish to take them. So yeah, they're super effective. You can strip them in shallow water, like in the fall. I'll strip them very often in shallow water. Or uh, I love hanging them under indicators anywhere from, you know, three, four feet deep to up to 15. I was actually doing that very thing uh, last week and it it worked. Um, good stuff. I think that marabou too is, it, it can't, sometimes the simpler the pattern, like that's not a complicated pattern, but man, does it work. No, totally. And, and call them what you want. You know, Brian Chan calls it the BMW, um, guys call them the M&M leech, whatever you want to call them, they work. So hmm. They're super simple. They can imitate a lot of things and, and fish crush them. What's your favorite place to talk fly fishing? So when you're not on the water and you're trying to get your fix, is it a fly shop? Is it a coffee shop? Is it a is there a pub locally that you go to chat fly fishing? I, literally anywhere anyone will talk about it. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me where it is. If someone will spark up a conversation, whether it's, uh, I mean, obviously I love going down to trout waters and hanging out in there. And talking with those guys, whether it's with the guys that work there, whether it's with other people who come in the door, I love doing that. Um, I think nowadays, like a lot of conversation about fishing happens over social media. Like uh, every day, you know, I'll get two to six to eight messages a day. The guys just want to ask questions, talk about fishing. And, and I mean, a lot of guys don't want to entertain that kind of thing. I entertain it all the time. I love talking fishing with guys. I love helping guys out who are who are newer to the sport than I am. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great way for people to contact people that they normally wouldn't be able to make contact with. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And, and trout waters, no doubt is, is a real hub in the Okanagan. And, uh, uh that's usually a two hour journey for me. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous for me because it's about, uh, I don't know, maybe a seven minute journey for me. So, yeah, I mean, two hours in <laughs> once the door opens, that's, oh i got you yeah that's also true (laughs) so let's talk sports um you you sound like you're into baseball a little bit but if you had to pick uh, one or two teams that you kind of religiously follow uh where do you get your fix in sports uh baseball i'm a diehard blue jays fan like i live and die by the jays um obviously right now there's no sports to watch at all but uh there's a lot of talks right now the mlb might fire up a 60 game season which I'm super into. The Jays are young. I want to watch them play. Uh, and then basketball-wise, um, I'm a big Warriors fan. I love Steph Curry. He's my favorite player. I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest players ever. And uh, always I support the North. I support the Raptors all the time. 
biggest lesson that you have learned in your fly fishing journey? If you had to pick a takeaway so far since day one, sum it up. What would it be? <sighs> I think, I think maybe two things. I think you need to do your best at controlling what you can control. So obviously, like you can't control the fish, you can't control if they're gonna eat. But there's a lot of things in fishing, and even prior to getting to fishing. Um, getting to the lake that you can control so you can control you know heading in directions that have maybe better or more stable weather patterns and and you, when you do these things like um, say you know you're going to go to a lake that's that's quite popular and there's going to be a lot of angling pressure you know myself um, I know a lot of guys like to show up around nine o'clock like if you get to the lake at nine o'clock you're on the water by nine thirty. hatches are around 10 that's great but if I know I'm going somewhere that's going to be busy I don't have a problem showing up at seven o'clock so that I can get launched so that I can get out to where I know I want to fish and not have to worry about the crowd and let the crowd come after me. Um, so I think like if you, if you do your best to kind of control as many aspects, um, while fishing and prior to fishing as you can, I think it, it puts you in the most, um, it gives you the best chance to be successful, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and then another thing that I think my biggest takeaway from being on the water is, you have to do your best to be very cognizant of what's going on around you. I think in my first couple of years of fishing, you know, I'm on the water. I want to fish chronomids. I'm fishing chronomids. I'm maybe not catching fish, but maybe somebody 60, 80, 150 feet away from me, they are catching fish. Well, well what are they doing differently? Are they on a hatch or do they have bugs hatching around them? Am I sitting in 10 feet and they're sitting in 20? And I think as an angler, if, if you're cognizant of what's going on around you, um, paying attention to are there bugs coming off on the water, you know, are guys around you or on the other side of the lake catching fish. If you pay attention to that, same thing, you're going to give yourself a better chance to be successful. Fill in the blank for me, Kyle. When you're not fishing, you're usually doing what? Thinking about fishing. <laughs> and that's literally, like, that's the reality of it. And my wife... My friends, they can attest to that because it's nonstop. If I'm not fishing, I'm thinking about fishing, and I'm also tying flies. Like every day, I'm off work at 4 o'clock, 3.30. I'm home. At, that vice gets touched every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and that stays, it stays fresh. And, man, that's, that's one way to vastly improve tying in a short amount of time if you're, if you're at it all the time. I know a lot of people that tie their whole life, and, and you get proficient at it. But if you're doing it every day... Uh, that learning curve is steep, and those flies will, will improve almost hourly. Oh, yeah, and, and, like, I don't mean every day I'm sitting down pounding out a dozen. Like, some days it might just be, like, I tie one or two patterns in a day. I'll tie, you know, two different chronomid patterns that I was thinking about, and, and that's it. It's That's the end of it for the day, but at least every day I sit down and I, I do something at the vice for sure. What's the best job you've ever had? I would say the job I have now is the best job I've ever had. Um I'm a project manager at Smalls Town Flooring, and uh, the construction industry in Kelowna right now it has been booming for years and is still booming. So uh, we're super busy. I work for a family-run business, and, and I love it. Hmm. Right on. So let's get back into your, into your fly fishing kind of history a little bit. So who would you cite as influences? Like um, as, as a slightly younger guy in the sport, who, who have you looked to over the years to learn from, even online or in person? Maybe just name some of your influences. Right. Um, I wouldn't say, like, one guy in particular. I've been like, that's the guy I need to 
I need to look up to, I need to follow. But, I mean, obviously I've followed uh, guys like Jordan Ulrich, Brian Chan, Phil Rowley, and I've, I've seen what these guys are doing. Uh, I've actually had the opportunity to fish with all three of those guys. Um, I follow very closely and I'm good friends with uh, the guys at BC Fly Guys, Brandon and Rob. So I fish with uh, Brandon quite often. I fish with Rob a couple times a year. And just being able to fish with guys who have been doing it for for 20, 30, 40 years, I mean, it just, your learning curve just goes up at a rate that is, it's unexplainable. Like you can't, you can't make up for, there's no books you could read. There's no internet articles you can read that allow you to progress at that level as to being on the water with guys that are fishing and have the knowledge uh, of those guys. I know that you were uh, really active uh, a couple of years back, I think, but uh, you'd mentioned Brian Chan and, and Phil Rowley and getting a chance to fish with those guys. Was that a contest? Refresh my memory on that. Yeah, that's right. So that was a, that was an Instagram fly tying contest um, that they held on their Instagram as like a one year, uh, one year of their app uh, contest. So what it was was basically you had to tie a damsel fly pattern, and then whoever got the most likes on their on their photo won the contest so it was me and a guy from new york uh basically battling it out same sort of strategy we were kind of sharing it over all platforms facebook instagram and uh i think i maybe edged him by like 60 likes on the last day and it closed at midnight and yeah i won the contest and i got to go out with those guys for a day we shot like a 10 minute uh video by brent gill for their app and uh, it was just a crazy experience because, I mean, a guy like Brian Chan, I mean, he's he's a pioneer to the sport, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So were you, talk about that experience. First off, where were you? Weren't you on, were you on Douglas Lake Ranch property somewhere? Yeah, so we actually, we actually fished Stony Lake, which was my first time ever being up there. Um, got to take a look at the lodge, obviously incredible facility. Uh, we fished the lake in, I think it was the end of June, like the third or fourth, yeah, maybe third week of June. Um, no crawnies really coming off, but we kind of we kind of got on some drop offs and we stripped boobies for most of the morning, and it was super successful. Like Brian and I were just pounding fish on tequila boobies, and Phil was netting them as fast as he possibly could. <laughs> so that was a blast, man. And those guys, like the knowledge that they have, is is incredible. So for me to be able to sit out there for eight hours with those guys was as early as I am in my fly fishing was, was absolutely incredible. Yeah. That's gotta be pretty motivating and, uh, man, what a great opportunity. Totally. Hmm. Was Jordan involved on that trip too? Uh, Jordan wasn't involved in that. No. So that was just Phil and Brian with their app, but I did fish with Jordan two years ago. Um, we went out and fished stump lake together in his boat um we fished stump till about noon until classic stump lake we got blown off at about uh, 11 30 11 45 uh we loaded back up and we went up and we fished uh, a lake in the roche lake park for the rest of the afternoon and it was like november 2nd we got snowed on but we caught some nice fish and and for a couple of young guys to be able to get out like that for a day it was it was excellent you mentioned stump lake that is a favorite of mine but it's amazing how that wind it's it's like clockwork. If you, if you get three or four hours on that lake and not get blown off, you're having a good day. Yeah, I mean, if you get a full day out there with no wind, like, go buy a lottery ticket because, yeah, by lunchtime, like, it's gusting in there. And, and if you don't have a big boat with a big motor, like, you're in trouble. 
Have you got any crazy stories, anything weird or wonderful that's happened to you since you started this obsession with fly fishing that comes to mind you'd like to share? Obsession's a good word. Um, I would say maybe one of the craziest things was actually this year, uh, early, early spring, like maybe lake had been iced off for maybe I want to say if a week I'd be shocked and we were out we were fishing uh, leeches in shallow water myself uh, a good friend of mine and this was the hot of COVID time so we were all in separate boats I think there was four of us total four boats and uh, we were all kind of fishing in the same area except one of our buddies he was on the far end of the lake and I started hearing a bunch of racket like someone was unloading a boat down there but there's no boat launch down there, so that's not possible. And I look over, and his boat is kind of like tilted up all Titanic style on us, and he actually leaned over the side of his boat, and the back end dipped under the water, and he took in enough water to, to capsize his boat. So, you know, 45-degree water, and, and one of our friends is in the water, so we had to zoom all the way across to the other end of this lake and and not, not only rescue him, but rescue his boat, rescue all his gear, and I'd wow. never, I'd never experienced anything like that. Like your heart races in an experience like that, like never before. Well, especially with the water temperatures that cold, it's a little different if it's, you know, you got a life jacket on and it's the middle of summer. Yeah. And that but... was the first thing I thought of like cold shock response. Like he's in the water. Like, how do I know he hasn't taken in water and we're so far away. Um, we didn't have a great visual of him. I could see him bobbing in the water. So we knew he wasn't under, but still he was he had to be 250 feet from shore and he actually by the time we got there he had swam to a log on shore and was resting on the log but terrifying experience and definitely one of the wildest things i've experienced while being on the water something i really never thought i'd ever see you know you never think it'll happen to you or one of your friends you always hear about it but to see it happen it's something that makes you remember like make sure you have life jackets on board make sure you have all your gear because yeah it happens quick I always think if you spend enough time on the water, which I know you're doing, you're going to see those things. I know I've seen that a few times. Um, I remember one time on Peter Hope Lake, we we're up there yep. camping, and all of a sudden we hear same thing. We heard a bunch of racket in the corner, and a couple of older guys were fishing, and it was cold. And they flipped same thing. They flipped their boat, and they had managed to climb on top of the boat and were hooting and hollering. Yeah. And uh, we went over there and 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 helped pull them out. But it was. Uh, <laughs> You never expect these things to happen. So no, let's man. face it, if, if you got some type of life jacket on, uh, you're ahead of the game. But that, oh, it all comes down to water temperature, right? Oh, yeah, man. And it, like I said, this was cold. Like it was not, I would not have been going in that water. It was terrifying. So for us to yeah. be able to get over there and, and, you know, I mean, as good as that ended, it's a terrifying experience. Kyle, let's let's chat a little bit about your, your fly tying. I'm curious about, you know, the types of patterns. We, we kind of touched on it earlier, but um, is it mostly chronomids and, and kind of micro leeches for you, or what, what type of patterns are you tying up? Yeah, I would say like probably 75% of the patterns I tie are chronomid patterns. Um, I also tie a lot of leeches. Um, I tie a lot of blobs, boobies, and I'm just kind of starting to dabble in with scuds. So I tied up a, a handful of tan scuds last night. Um, probably won't end up fishing them till the fall, but I just, you know, I had some scud back and I was like, I may as well give these a whirl here. So I tied some of those up. But yeah, I would say the majority of what I'm tying, uh, especially this time of year and in the winter even, um, is chronomids. As the summer progresses, kind of get more into blobs and boobies and then into the fall, 
but that's when I get really heavy into the leeches, the micro leeches, and, and again, the blobs. What about big dragons or gomphus or, or boatman patterns? Any, any of those uh, come off the vice? So for me, those are not ties. Those are all buys. I do not spin deer hair. Um, <laughs> so I head down to the old local trout waters. I will buy gomphus, water boatman. Those are just, yeah, I'm not there yet. I, I, I totally understand that. I, I do spin some deer hair, but it's, it's messy. It's not my favorite thing to do. It is quite time-consuming. That's what and, everybody says. Like, yeah, no, there's no doubt. But I think it's like anything. You know, you get better at it the more you do it. But there's certain patterns where I'm, I'm like you, too. It's like, yeah, I could tie that. But, you know, like... It, or I could just spend $2.70. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, you exactly. know, it's like five bucks yeah. i got two of them or i can spend half an hour here trying to spin deer hair yeah and and when i do it none of them look alike <laughs> you know that's I mean? right yeah exactly <laughs> you're like holy what do i have here what type of um fly tying vice are you tying on lately uh i'm tying on a renzetti traveler um so my first vice that i had was i think my my wife actually had bought me or maybe it was my mother-in-law had bought me a an amundsen like uh, maybe it was like an 80 or $100 kit, came with all the tools, came with a vice. And I basically, in the first winter, I burned it out. Like I went, the, the jaws were toast. I mean, it, it wasn't ready for, <laughs> for what it went through. So um, one night I, I, it fell apart on me basically. And the next day, like I was standing there and my wife was like, you have to go buy a new one because like <laughs> this is all you do. So I went down <laughs> to Trout Waters. They looked after me, got a Renzetti Traveler. Um, and that's made a world of difference. It's so nice. I got the same vice from the exact same place, and I, I love it. It's the it's uh, the thing I like about that Renzetti is it will hold a size 18 2X hook as well as it holds a large size 6 long shank kind of gonfus hook. Oh, totally. And, like, the base on it, like, the fact that you can take it apart. Like, I take it camping with me every weekend. I might not always use it. But it's always in the truck on camping trips just in case, you know, you run into a time where it's, you know, you need to spin something up that you maybe don't have or you don't have enough of. And it's just so portable. It's so handy to have. So, yeah, great investment. I think it'll last a, a super long time. And if anybody was in the market for for a quality vice, I'd definitely recommend it. That's one thing I, I struggle with is, is taking everything to the lake. You know, it's like I always set out with these good intentions and once in a while it works but more often than not it's collecting dust totally and i'm the same way like i bring it and i i'm i mostly pack things to tie leeches crannies and blobs um just in case i run into a situation where i i mow through a bunch of flies or you know i got some friends with me and and i only have maybe two or three of one pattern and and we run out but for the most part i'm the same as you like i bring it with me it sits in the back of my truck and it doesn't come out but um three weeks ago it actually bailed us out because we were fishing at a lake where we were fishing mostly small size chronomids and halfway through the day we started to see like big size 10 12 bombers and they were they were kind of like a static bag green and they were really big mm-hmm. and we didn't really have anything of that size so when we went in for lunch um well my friends cooked lunch i whipped up half a dozen of them and we took them out on the lake and you know that took us right through into dinner time fishing those crannies that we had tied at lunchtime so it's definitely handy. I know that hatch you're talking about all too well. Is that kind of an August thing? Uh, this this was uh, this was actually early in the spring. This was like middle of May. I was I was really shocked to see, 
like you know yeah just like you said and in august you get those big bombers but this was early in the year Hmm. and it was just something i wasn't prepared for so having the vice there and being able to hop back to our campsite and quickly tie a half dozen you know big green uh asb bombers saved us for the day so i was really glad to that i traveled that with me what color rib did you put on those uh black okay black so what i did was i I barber pulled the asb around a green underbody and then ran a black rib just over top of the green and an extra small black wire and uh it was deadly what do you finish off those flies with is there like uh sally hansen or some type of uv coating or what are you using to finish yeah i used to be i used to be big into the uv coating um I, I tried some Solarez. I like that. I used some Loon Outdoors, UV Clear. Um, but actually, Brandon from BC Fly Guys, he he got me switched on to the Crazy Glue, and, and now I swear by it. I've tied this season like thousands of chronomids with uh, with Crazy Glue, and I'll be honest with you, I think it's a, a much more durable finish than than the UV coatings. Is that a, a coming in a brush on applicator? What does that even look like? Yeah, the one that I have uh, is brush-on. Um, so it, it goes on nice and thin. It dries super clear. And if I'm concerned about wear, I'll do a double application. And, man, it prolongs the life of your crony infinitely longer. I think it helps them sink as well. Yeah, it might. It probably has more weight to it. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. How long does it take to dry? It's pretty instant too, isn't it? It's it's quick, yeah. So yeah. and that's another thing I found with some of the UVs, like you'd need a really strong light um, to cure them, and even then, uh, you could kind of still feel maybe you call it tackiness or or a little bit of of the liquid would still come off onto your fingers. But with the with the crazy glue, man, you leave it for two, three minutes, four minutes, and it is rock solid. And then you can put another coat on there, and that that fly can last you through. 20 30 40 fish in a day that's a great tip is there any type of um thread that you prefer to use because i know that especially when you're tying small patterns the thread is really critical and talk about selection as far as brands and ought all all the thread that i use is is utc 70 yeah and i think the biggest thing especially when tying small patterns is to make sure that your thread lays flat so you counter spin your bobbin so that your thread lays flat and that way you can keep that thin profile because I'm a big believer that the thinner your body, the thinner your taper is, the more successful that chronomid's going to be. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and I'm the same as you, that UTC 70, that's that's my go-to too. It lay, I love the way it lays flat and it, like you say, yeah. those details matter. I had um, uh, another gentleman on the show a while back uh Devin Sieben and he, he had a quote and I don't know where he got it but his quote was make every wrap of thread count and I think there's no more you know more critical area than when you're tying small midge to small chronomid patterns yeah like the size 16 18s like if you know if you get more than two or three wraps on there you, you know you're now as thick as you were long so I mean it's it's doesn't look natural and I mean it's hard those those small chronomids like when you look at them even through a vial or you put them in your hand, like, like they are small, they're very thin. So you have to do your best to, you know, one, one wrap down, one rack back up, uh, wrap your wire, keep Mm -hmm. it tight, like keep them small. And, and the smaller they are, the thinner they are. I find the the more fish will eat them. Yeah. 
That's my other buddy saying, thin to win. <laughs> yeah, man, it's so true. Like, and you know, when I first started tying them, even like I used to tie a lot on scud hooks. I used to tie a lot of my cronies on scud hooks, and I just found with the curved nymph two X hooks from Daiichi or Orvis or even from Togans, um, it's a lot easier to keep them thin on on those curved nymph hooks. Yeah, that's those are some really good tips for sure. I really find it kind of interesting through all this, these recent kind of events with COVID and how, how important the outdoors really is to a lot of people. Yeah, man. I mean, I think we take it for granted, right? Like we're, we're so used to just being able to go outside anytime we want, go use our beautiful parks and our rec sites and our lakes. And, and then for that to get taken away from us for like, whatever it was a month and a half, like, it was chaos, man. Like it really was. Yeah, no, I know. I, I know a lot of people were chomping at the bit, and as these regulations have come out, be like, really? It's like you know when, in a bad fire season, when they shut the bush down, it's like, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, exactly, now what? <laughs> the summer, you're just like, okay. Yeah, I guess I'm fishing the valley bottom, but uh, totally. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely limiting, and I get it. They do it for a reason. There's no doubt, but. Oh yeah, and I totally agreed with it. But I mean, it's it was just tough, right? As a guy who's used to being able to just pick any lake on any given day and and be able to get out there, launch your boat. I mean, you take that for granted when when a pandemic like that happens. And and yeah, I don't want to see those that those freedoms were taken away. But you know, to to protect people, they mm-hmm. they had to put those measures in place. And yeah, it was it was wild times for sure. We had it better than a lot of places too. A lot of places you you still can barely get out. Oh yeah, like BC. I mean, the BC government did an incredible job with with getting at it early, and now you know this week we're supposed to go into what they call phase three of of the reopening. So I mean, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that was super successful. Like we obviously didn't have a lot of cases, and and now we're pretty close to you know returning back to maybe I wouldn't say normal, but more normal than we obviously have been. Yeah, that's well put. I want you to put your artist hat on, Kyle, for a second. We're chatting with Kyle Meek from Kelowna, BC, avid Stillwater fly tire in the interior of British Columbia. I'm going to ask you to describe your perfect day, paint a picture for us, kind of what that looks like, the type of water you're fishing, kind of describe how you get there, and just kind of walk us through that day. Yeah, so, I mean, I like fishing lakes. I like fishing small lakes, um, you know, where the depth maybe doesn't go over like a 35-ish feet kind of thing. So I, I all the water I would consider to be fishable. Um, you know, I like getting off the Forest Service Road. Um, I don't want to beat my truck up, but I don't mind, you know, a couple bumps and a couple scratches on the side uh, to get in. Uh, once I get in, I you know, I hope to see uh, not much wind. I hope to see fish moving. And, uh, you know, stable weather is, is so huge. And I think people take that for granted, um, or maybe don't, don't put enough thought into the fact that, you know, with the barometric pressure and and the way that that affects fish. And for me, yeah, I mean, you know, a weekend of stable weather, you know, it doesn't have to be super warm, but just, you know, I'll take 12, 13, 14 degrees as long as it's that way all weekend. Right. And, uh, and that makes a world of difference. Like I've experienced it many times where we'll go camping, we'll stay at a lake Friday night, fish it Saturday, fish really good all day Saturday, storm kind of rolls in overnight, 
And then you see Sunday morning, those fish have all like, you know, maybe they were in like the, this was actually in August that this was happening. We were fishing on Saturday. We were getting fish anywhere from, I would say 18 to 26 feet deep and storm rolled in Saturday night. The next day, all the fish had pushed into like 45 to 50 feet of water and we, we couldn't get to them anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I know what you mean by that though. The style of fishing that both you and I are doing I don't want to be in 60 feet of water. That's the last thing I want. No, not at all. I mean, it's, it. you can do it for sure. As you see, like, guys who go and fish uh, some of the bigger lakes in the caribou, um, you know, they're dangling chronomids down 60 feet, and that's that's all fine and dandy. But I, I sure would prefer to throw, you know, 15 to 20 feet of leader with an indicator than dangle 60 feet below my boat, you know. What are you chasing on this dream? day are you chasing panask rainbow what kind of strain are you targeting oh i'm i'm all panask rainbows um as much as i can be um i love the big runs i love the jumps i love that they're such avid insect eaters um they're by far my favorite fish to target uh i also show a lot of love to the to the big fat phrasers of the world but uh yeah panask for me are number one Blackwaters are just as beautiful but for me, given the option to go fish, uh, you know, a lake with big panass versus any other fish, I'm I'm taking the big panass ten times out of ten. <laughs> and I think you're doing it seven days out of seven, by the sounds of it. Yeah, like if, yeah, exactly, as many days as possible for sure. Yeah, good stuff. Why don't we get your uh, your media handles out there so somebody could, if they want to see some of the fish you're chasing in the interior of British Columbia, um, where do we find you on Instagram, Facebook, and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, I'm just on there as Kyle Meek, first name, last name, and I don't post a ton on there. I post a little bit in, like, the Stillwaters uh, Facebook group ran by Brent Gill there, and I post a little bit in Okanagan Valley Fishing. Uh, Not a ton, though. Uh, The majority of what I post is on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is Meeker underscore 13. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to see some fish pictures, there's, there's a couple on there. Well, hopefully you and I will cross paths or maybe at some point we can get out and chase, chase some fins together, man. I I really appreciate you taking the time tonight, Kyle. No problem, man. I really appreciate you having me. It was a, it was a blast. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.